welcome to the Sally Allen podcast. I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you've tuned in. Thank you so much. As you know, our podcast is focused on resiliency. And today I have a story for you. I have a friend here. I don't know him that well. I've heard him speak before. And um, I'm so excited for him to share his story. Okay, I have to be transparent. It happened so fast when I asked you, I didn't have time to research you. Or I didn't have time to um, interview Adam Clausen. I want to introduce Adam Clausen. So however this goes, we roll with it. Welcome, Adam. <laughs> so grateful to be here this morning. Yes. And let me say this. I forgot. You see, I'm, I'm a little um, shaky on the intro here. Adam also is a host on the Gridability podcast, and it's a very powerful podcast. So tune in to that. And with that said, welcome again. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, can we make fun of the studio though? Adam is almost like seven feet tall and he's sitting in the midget studio for the girls. So, <laughs> well, it's funny. You say almost seven feet tall. You know, I'm, I'm 6'4. And sometimes I feel m- more tall depending on the situation. This morning, sitting, sitting in this chair, I feel very tall. <laughs> Yes, like this <laughs> studio was was built for shorter people. It was built for me for Fatal. Yeah, it was my, built for my me. wife would love it in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, Adam, I am really um, honored that you're here to share your story with us. I know it's very powerful, and you are living right now a very resilient life. But you've gone through the ringer, man. Talk to us about that. Mm. Um, and I can't say that I always had a hard life. I mean, I had some very good beginnings. I was fortunate, despite the fact I grew up in a single parent household. I had a mother who worked very hard to provide, give me the best life. And even though, um, you know, my mom ended up going back to school after my parents were divorced, she, she was, you know, in the 80s, like the epitome of the working woman, like, trying to make it all happen, going to school, working up the corporate ladder. And that opened up some opportunities for her in business. I, you know, obviously benefited from that, got into some better schools. Uh, So I had a decent foundation, Um, had a good education, uh, wasn't the best student. And, you know, I was told because I was a high energy kid. um, So I got into some trouble for being high energy. They didn't know how to control me. And and as an only child, like I'd come to school, I want to talk to everybody. (laughs) You know, I'm like, hey, here's here's all the other kids. And they tried to keep me quiet. And when I Mm. wouldn't remain quiet, they put me out in the hallway. Mm. And I became labeled as problematic. By the time I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher who told me, you're going to end up in prison one day. Oh my gosh. Now, looking back on that, That woman never should have been a teacher. You don't tell a child that. Right. Regardless. And I didn't do anything to warrant that aside from talking too much. Right. I wanted some attention. Um, And, you know, despite my mom did her best to to give me the attention that she could, she was also hustling. I look back and I really respect what my mom was able to accomplish, especially during that era. And fortunately, I I was a a strong athlete in my youth, and that opened some additional doors. So having the the decent, you know, educational foundation, good athlete, next thing you know, I get recruited to a a college prep to play ball. And this is back in the 90s. I mean, this is commonplace. Now this happens. Back then, it didn't really happen. So 
It was big news. Um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Kobe Bryant, same time, same area, played in the same AAU leagues. Um, so there were opportunities that were definitely there uh, before I even finished high school. I had already signed to go away down south, Jacksonville, you know, um, play ball down there. That was the whole plan. Problem was um, that label, I began to live into it, being that problem child. Yeah. And, you know, labels, they're hard to escape. And I found myself hanging out with the wrong group of guys and not getting the attention. Part of it was, was you know, seeking that attention. The other thing was I had some other stuff going on inside of me. As, you know, young men, we, we all go through right. uh, that transition differently. Wasn't eating well, wasn't, you know, pushing my body to... to extreme limits, knowing the things that I do now, I could see how harmful it was. I never slept. I was an insomniac. I'd sleep an hour or two. And that all eventually caught up to me. Drugs, alcohol, I started doing those things even in high school. Um, Committed a couple of burglaries and robberies that instead of going to college, led me to prison. So I spent my formative years, 18, 20 to 21, almost 22, in a state prison, got a GED, took some college classes, became a carpenter. It just wasn't my calling. And when I got out, I was just as lost as I was when I went in. And if I'm being honest about it, I was off and running. And I was caught right back up with the same people doing the same things. And I managed to get away with it for a couple of years. Um... But I ended up in a place of desperation where I was violated for um, some drugs and alcohol, sent to a county jail. 90 days later, they call my name. You're out of here. I literally sprinted out the door, a pair of flip-flops, T-shirt. This is the East Coast in January. It's like 10 degrees outside. Yeah. Uh, I was just happy to be free. Like, ha, I'm free. I'm running down the street. I have a bill for the cost of my 90 days imprisonment. It was Mm -hmm. like $1,500. All of my money, my belongings have all been stolen. My house has been sold out from underneath me. My car, which was outside, has since been towed, impounded, repoed during that 90 days. And my phone has been turned off. Let's pause there for a minute. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Yes. That's a lot to unpack, but... I want you to talk to, about, to our audience about mindset mm-hmm. because somebody ingrained in you that you aren't good enough and you will never be good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, like, especially these days, what we say to our kids and what we say mm-hmm. to ourselves because you came out like with that mindset that, hey, I'm always problematic. I'll just continue to be problematic. And you didn't know how to shift that mindset. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, as I said, like when the label was placed on me, yeah, I watched, especially as a child, yeah. um, you know, children are not in charge. They just don't have authority. Right. So we are vulnerable to the authority figures around us, the labels they put on us, the, the guardrails, the decisions that they make for us. And I was susceptible to that. Even though when I hit 18 years old, um, despite the fact I was legal of legal age, 
I was still a child in mindset. So I wasn't capable of making the decisions that I needed at that point to take control, to take authority of my own life. I continued to allow that narrative to drive my decisions, my behavior, um, because I yet I did not yet have the information nor the supports that I needed. It wasn't until um, I ended up when I came out of that county jail over the course of three weeks, um, feeling desperate, hopeless, like there was no other option. I committed a string of armed robberies, um, terrible, terrible decisions. Um, again, I, I point back to my immature thinking, not taking full responsibility for my situation yet, and committed this string of robberies that ultimately put me in federal court, um, went to trial, ended up with a 213-year sentence. What did what, what do you do like to, I don't even have the words, like it's so shocking, 213 years. What added up to the 213 years? Mm. Um, the 213 years was the result of mandatory minimum sentences um, for each crime. I committed nine crimes over the course of three weeks that the way that I was charged, because there was a weapon involved, they were able to, after the first one, impose a mandatory minimum sentence of 25 years, plus 25, plus 25. The reason why these sentences don't occur normally is because generally the government uses those potential terms to leverage against individuals to get them to cooperate. Yeah. Whether that means, in my case, that meant testifying against other people, basically putting other people in prison with life sentences. I was not prepared to do that. I preferred to take the chance, go to trial, mm-hmm. even even though I was I was guilty. Yeah. I did everything that they said I did. Right. Um, but in my mind, um, that was the decision that I made. I deeply regret everything that I did, all of the acts that led me to prison. Yeah. What I do not regret was my decision, my response in, in choosing to go to trial, to receive that 213-year sentence, and then ultimately spending 20 years earning a second chance. Um, it was that adversity that ultimately made me the person who I am today. But that started with a decision the day that I received that time. What was your thinking when you received that time? Like, how did you receive that? Like, in, you know, like somebody said 200 years sentenced, 213 years. What was your thought process? Uh, I got to be honest, I was a little numb. Yeah. In the courtroom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's shocking. Even though I knew it was coming at that point, it's still, it's it's difficult to, to acknowledge or to accept that. Um, but the other part of that is when we got back into the holding cells, because I had two co-defendants who were with me, they're both in shock. Um, no one knows what to say. And I started laughing. And they're looking at me like this guy has completely lost, lost his it. mind. Yeah, yeah. And and I could see the concern in both of them. <laughs> yeah. 
they're like he's generally the the you know the more balanced one and um i started laughing and i said you know what this is not the end i will not allow this to define me i will not allow this to be the end for us um and i was reminded of an individual who i knew from that time that i spent in the state prison mm-hmm. who was absolutely miserable he had committed some pretty heinous crimes um unlikely that he was ever going to get released uh and man he wore it everything that he did like he carried that around with him was absolutely miserable nobody wanted to be around him right and i said the reason why i started laughing was now i know and i can say i will never be that guy i'm going to i'm going to choose to hold on to hope that at some point in the future like common sense is going to prevail my right. sentence is crazy 213 years it's a little bit excessive yeah no one died no one was seriously injured yeah. serious crimes but I, I i just don't know how you justify that sentence so i said you know what at some point common sense is going to prevail in the meantime i'm going to take this opportunity i'm going to live a certain way i'm going to become you know i'm going to use this as an opportunity to become better um i know that i i've got a long way to improve um and honestly at that point there was almost a sense of relief because mm. there was so much stress leading up to that moment when i received the time it was like okay that was it it happened mm-hmm. huh take a breath wow figure out it's like okay what's next like i'm i'm not dead i think as i as i listen to you i i just wrote down the word relief um i feel heartbroken because when i wrote my book one of the things the publishers had taught me the way to write my book is to go back and look at that little girl who was struggling and who was being abused and what was she feeling versus the person who I am now. So as you tell your story, I'm flipping back and forth in my mind. And it sounded like you were that person who didn't get the help that you needed. Everything you've done, and correct me if I'm wrong, was a cry for help. And no one's helping you. Like, and you keep getting back into the prison system. And you didn't have the tools, equipped with the tools and the help that you needed. So you keep running into the same scenarios over and over again, not knowing how to switch your mindset. And finally, you're in a place where you can't be that person. So there's a sense of like, maybe now I have a chance to flip the script. Is that an accurate assessment? That's a very accurate description. And you reminded me as you were, <clears throat> as you were giving that recap, um, when I walked out of the state prison after serving that first term, my mother was there to pick me up. You know, 18 to 21, almost 22 years old. My friends had gone off to college. They'd moved on with their lives. I felt like, you know, at that age, like my life is over. I missed every opportunity. I threw it all away. She picked me up from prison. I walked out the prison gates. My mom was there. Right. Um, and despite, you know, how much I had let her down, she was still there. Mom was still in my corner. Um, driving home as we're pulling away from the prison, man, <clears throat> I can even feel it now. I just started like tears are streaming down my face. 
And she's looking over at me and I can see panic in her eyes because she doesn't understand what's happening. She's like, what is wrong? What's going on with you right now? And all I can say is like, nothing. I, that's, I'm like, I don't know, nothing. Nothing's wrong with me. And it was my mother's fear, concern, panic that I took his anger, mm. right? And she wasn't equipped. She's my mom. She's going to love me, right? But she wasn't equipped to help me work through those issues. And I didn't have anyone. And to be honest, even if I did, I don't know if I was ready to open up. I just didn't trust people at that point. Anyone who was an authority figure, because my experiences with authority figures had all been negative up to that point in my life. It wasn't until I, many years later, had new experiences, built new relationships, that that paradigm finally shifted. Yeah. Um, but that was many years later and, and a whole lot of emotional turmoil, things that, you know, unfortunately festered for a long, long time. Yeah. Man, Adam, I don't get too emotional on my podcast, but <laughs> just going back, like as you're switching back, sitting with your mom in the car, it's making me think about my son and some of the things we've gone through and it's really resonating with me. So thank you for being so transparent and sharing. So then what happened? You're sentenced 213 years and okay, you, you kind of switch your mindset a little bit in there. How much time did you spend and how did you, you know, make an impact in prison? So when you came out, you're like, I am this person today. Uh, ultimately, you know, it started with that decision. Yeah. Um, that that's, that experience, that time was not going to define me. Mm -hmm. That was the first part, that mindset. Adopting that mindset was, was integral to me then taking the actions that I needed to take to start actually becoming that person. Um, was very fortunate when I got to a prison. I started out in the United States Penitentiary. Mm -hmm. Tough spot. Um, tightly controlled. Um, was very fortunate to come in contact with my first mentor, true mentor of all places in prison. I finally meet someone who had the ability, um, who was able to walk that line, who was someone was a little bit older, right. was serving a life sentence, had authority, so to speak, but also there was enough where there was a connection, there were commonalities, he wasn't that far removed, he was still a peer, um, and was able to carve out physical space for me in prison, in the gym, to where being a you know strong athlete, I already you know had a certain physicality. I get into the weight room with him. He starts mentoring, guiding me, opens doors, creates space where I discover this passion that I have that encompasses all things health and wellness related. And then I had the resources. He even helped to provide some of those resources, so I was able to learn more about myself. Um, about different modalities, uh, you know, delved into everything that was physical to, to fully explore this passion. And then he also created the opportunity for me to find purpose 
in sharing this passion with others through classes that first I started co-facilitating with him and then ultimately which became mine and that became my identity. I became the fitness guru. This is over the course of you know, a decade. Um, and I was able to, that replaced the old person. All of those negative uh, labels that had been put on me that I had accepted as that's who I am, now I became the fitness guru. I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, I stopped doing drugs, I stopped gambling. All, I cut all the negative relationships out of my life. You know, it's ironic. Didn't like, have a choice. <laughs> nope, believe me, I did. Oh, did you really? <laughs> You'd be surprised. All of those things are readily available in prison. Oh, okay, okay. okay. I know most people would think like it's, it's not easily accessible. Um, sometimes drugs were more accessible in prison. Right, right. Than they were depending on where you live on the outside. Wow. Okay. I know that's a startling, you know, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, but that's the unfortunate reality of our prison system. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I want us to pause it. Like your story is so heavy. I feel like we can go on and on and forever. But what I'm hearing you say in this segment of your story mm -hmm. is that when you find purpose in your life, that's where you find your identity. True. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a believer. And I think God had such big plans for you. But you had to, he was letting you run on your own to see if you're going to get to where you needed to go. And he just, you needed to, you know, sometimes we have to go through that in order to come out stronger. And I just felt like, um, why am I so emotional today out of your story? It's like, um, I just felt like, like God had to put you in a place where this one person that you met was so targeted to minister to you, to get you to where you are today, to find your God-given identity through purpose. Is that accurate? Very accurate. And it's interesting because I can give you my purpose. My purpose statement Tell. is... Um, to use my knowledge, my strengths, my skills, and my experiences to inspire others to live into their full potential, especially those who yes. have been incarcerated, caught up in the justice system. Man, what a powerful mission statement. I love that. Love that. So anyway, continue your story. You're there. You met this person. You found your purpose. And it's, you know, your identity now is being that uh, healthy, strong person helping others. How did you get out of the 213-year sentence? <laughs> well, I spent that whole first 10 years finding that passion and purpose, but I knew that that wasn't everything. Yeah. Um, a key part of my story, my inspiration, is my wife. And I met her towards the end of that 10 years, that first decade in prison. And we came together over a shared passion for fitness. She was a fitness competitor. Yeah. And it, it was that passion that brought us together. We opened the lines of communication. She became my chief advocate, supporter. So now I had someone who believed in me and in the person that I was becoming and fitting into that new identity. So that was the additional support. And I never had that, right? Was she in prison or out of prison? No, she was she was out of prison. How did you guys meet? Oh, that's a great question. That's a whole other story. Is that part two? Is that part two that's of our definitely part, part okay. two? Because <laughs> okay. she is largely 
instrumental in allowing me to become the person that I needed to be first to get out of prison. Yeah. But then ultimately to have the life that we now lead. And our foundation is in fitness, but it was the journey that we took over the next 10 years because she was with me for 11 more years before I was finally granted relief. And over the course of that time, I became a certified life coach. I worked with, uh, found other mentors who were at the forefront of life coaching. Um, Dr. Patrick Williams, forefront of positive psychology. Um, Dr. Williams became an advocate supporter, helped us build a program in prison where I led a community of, that topped out over 100 incarcerated life coaches who transformed the culture, not just in that prison, but who then left, went back to their communities, and have had incredible impact all across the country. And th you're doing all of this, all of this knowing you're still serving 213 years. There's no light at the end of the tunnel to leave. Correct. Can I say, like, you are the epitome of resilience because if you were given that chance while you were out and you weren't in prison, I just imagine how much more you would have accomplished, you know? But, I mean, uh, God's timing is perfect timing, right? And his ways well, are higher than our ways, so we don't know what his plans are, but um, we see it now, right? You're out on what you're doing, but... I'm sorry, I had to put that in there. Like yeah. it's, it just speaks of your resiliency no, because you still didn't think you were gonna get out, but you're still planning. You're still planning and you're still growing. I believed. You believed. I always, yeah. I maintain the faith yeah. in myself, right. in having the ability to do everything that I needed to do, mm -hmm. one, to earn that second chance because of everything that I had done in the past. I felt that there were scales that needed to be balanced yeah. in order for me to earn a second chance. I had to positively impact far more people than I had ever harmed. This was my means to do that and to do that by creating um, a situation where there were individuals who could then go out and spread that influence even further. Um, I did that with the belief that someday my wife and I would have the opportunity to start a family, to be on the outside, to have even greater impact. But I also realized that I needed that experience for me. Yeah. I needed that to become the person that I am. Like it was the challenges. Like that's what shaped me, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what prepared me for life on this side where in the face of any adversity, you know, it might be miserable in the moment, like, oh man, I'm like frustrated with this challenge. I'm like, really, this is nothing by comparison. Everything I've been through right, right, right. makes this seem so small, so insignificant. Yeah. So, and that's not just me. I have a partner who has that same experience because she lived through that period with me, underwent, I would say, even greater challenge because she had her whole set of circumstances that she had to endure in order to be a part of that relationship. Both of us became coaches, so it was our communication and support for one another that allowed us to not just survive the time, but we found a way to thrive mm -hmm. 
despite those adversities, despite the conditions that we were living in. Um, so that's what got us there. I had to do a lot of things that had never been done before. Right. Building a community of incarcerated life coaches, right? There, there are none to my knowledge at this point. Like, um, that program no longer exists. We're definitely trying to get that um, started back up now. But um, had to do a lot of things that had never been done before in order to, one, balance out the scales, but two, make put myself in a position where someone in a position of authority could say, you know what, we need to support this person being released. Mm. So ultimately, my release depended on that list of accomplishments that were deemed extraordinary and compelling achievements. Right. Um, things that nobody had done before. Um, and my attorney, who, interesting side note, did time in federal prison. I know a lot of people think you can't become an attorney if you've been in prison. But he actually um, had robbed a number of banks. Mm-hmm. Got out, went to law school, um, became a barred attorney, got recruited to Georgetown, became a law professor, frequent guest of the White House, helped to shape the 2018 criminal justice reform that ultimately created the vehicle for me to get back in front of a judge in in court. And he put that petition up. He's one of my closest friends, um, advocate, incredibly grateful for the efforts the herculean efforts that he took to get me back in there to advocate for me because i was one of over 3500 people who were sentenced a certain way Mm -hmm. and only a handful of us have since been released and even after my release if he wouldn't have done what he did uh, and and convinced the u.s attorney's office not to appeal my case I would have gone back to prison. After being out of a year, I would have gone back and I would now be serving the remainder of that life sentence in prison. Wow. You know, that speaks to um, people believing in us and giving us a chance. Second chances are so real and they can be so instrumental towards us living that fulfilled life that we're called to live. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, your your wife now and him and all those other people that came around you that you didn't have on the outside when you were here, right? You had to be in there to have that help made you the person you are today. Yes. Talk to us about what you're doing today. Today, um, today I'm living that dream. Yeah. Uh, part of that is my wife and I, that shared passion for fitness has taught us you know, having a foundation in physical practices is like, that's a demonstration in resiliency, right? Like every day getting up, doing those difficult things that you don't necessarily want to do, but that you know you need to do that benefits you. That's what our podcast, Gritability, is all about. The power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. So we talk about our experiences and getting to where we are today And really we highlight other success stories or other people who are undergoing challenges. And we talk about, sometimes we just give our opinion. Um, Sometimes, you know, we're just grateful to be able to highlight other success stories, people, circumstances that have inspired us because that's what helped us to get to where we are. In addition to that, 
I get to work with individuals who are transitioning out of the criminal justice system. I have a staffing company called Rise Together Staffing, and we take those system-impacted persons and we connect them to second-chance employers here in the Las Vegas community um, so that we can help get them that foundation to make sure that they have at least the income to support them in that initial transition. But then we also connect them to our other community service provider partners in the community who have the various supports depending on what that individual needs, whether it's mental health, substance uh, misuse treatment, um, food, clothing, and then housing. We have a qualified opportunity zone fund where um, we are currently seeking investors, private investors, Mm -hmm. to help us build affordable housing, 250 affordable housing units, where those individuals will have the safe space that they need to successfully transition back into the community. Um, There will also be space for those community service providers to provide those services and support on site. Um, And the reason why this is so important to me is because when I looked back in my experiences, I knew what would have been most instrumental to me having the foundation, the support that I needed so that I wouldn't have had to go through this system twice to ultimately learn those same things. And I feel that that's my purpose is to make sure that others don't have to endure. They don't have to do the 20 years, five months and 17 days that I did to learn the same lessons. I can help speed that process up. Prevention, prevention, prevention. Yes. It's all about prevention. So how can people find you? Uh, Easily on Instagram, at Gritability. Um, That's number one on the list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm RiseTogetherStaffing.com, RiseVillageLV. Um, Both of those are, are places where it's very easy to find us. Gritability, we're also on YouTube, Roe and Adam Clausen. There's a lot of people that have followed our story who've supported us for many years and they continue to support us and follow us online and they're absolutely amazing. Um, Love hearing from those people and, you know, anyone else who's interested in supporting not only us, but, you know, individuals who are similarly situated, transitioning out of the system uh, and, and who love success stories. That's what we're looking to promote. Yeah. So I am really glad I didn't really know the full extent of your story because I've had so many jaw-dropping moments. And I want to thank you for being so open and vulnerable and sharing. Um, What's a takeaway for our audience today? Takeaway would be the power of second chances or third or fourth or fifth chances. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really about not giving up on people. I would say going back to where we started our conversation, especially um, with children, Mm -hmm. right? I have a young son, 18 months old. He's cute. (laughs) He's adorable. He's everything. He's our CEO, right? (laughs) I can see that. He sets our schedule. Everything revolves around him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that I just want to give in to every whim of his but I'm very conscious of those things that shaped me. Yes. 
So I am very conscious in everything that I say in the way that we interact with him every single day that he knows how much we love and appreciate him, want the best for him. And if there is time where we need to guide him in a different direction, we do that with instruction and, and pray that he understands everything that we are seeking to impart on him. Um, because, you know, how we get started has, has great influence on where we end up in life. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Adam, for being on the show today. And friends, you know what I say, it's never too late to start living resiliently. And I'm trying to come up with my own takeaway, but I'm going to agree with Adam, the power of second chances. Um, also community. When we have the right people surrounding us, we can conquer anything. And um, with that, I want to say thank you again, Adam, for being on the show. I want to thank Austin behind the desk and Sticky Paw Studio. If you are listening, I want to remind you to rate, review, and share with your friends.